We're really excited to have our moderator, Smarika Suwal, who came back from Worcester to join us. So Smarika Suwal was born in Nepal and moved to Cambridge when she was five years old. Uh, Smarika graduated from Cambridge Ringe in Latin uh, in 2018 and has interned with the Cambridge Community Center in the past. Uh, she's now enrolled at the College of the Holy Cross in Worcester as a history and classics double major. And again, uh, it's really great to have you here. So uh, with that, I will let you take over. Uh, hello, I'm happy to be here and happy to see everyone. Um, well, uh, Perry's already introduced who I am, but I would like your help in welcoming our two fabulous city councillors who have who are activists themselves and have worked uh, to bring a voice to people in Cambridge for over a decade now, I think, for both of you in various forms. So please join me in welcoming uh, City Councilor Al Alana Mallon and Simbul Siddiqui. Um, so can you tell us a little bit about your podcast, uh, Women Are Here, and sort of how it got started? Did you want to go? Yeah, sure. So <laughs> we met uh, March 1st, 2017. Exactly. I, I'm really good with dates. So <laughs> I, uh, we met going to an event that the Cambridge Community Foundation was hosting. And we met on a sidewalk. And we were like, oh, you're running. I'm running too. And from there, we, we, we hit it off. Uh, and so this podcast is rooted in this organic friendship that began at these events when we were campaigning. And so Alana can get into a little bit more how we came up with the idea, but it was really because we got to know each other on the campaign trail because it's a very grueling uh, grueling experience. And we met in March, the election was not until November. So we really got to know each other during that time. And you know, we shared exchange numbers and then we started texting and it, it, it kind of laid the foundation for the future. Yeah, and I would say that um, it is a grueling experience to campaign and having somebody who was going through the exact same experience as you was really so critical for me. Like I would be out knocking on doors, sweating in the middle of July and I'd text someone like, are you out here? And she'd be like, yeah, I'm out here. And she would text me a picture of like some part of Cambridge that, you know, I had probably just been in. And it was just really nice. We would show up at these events where it was, it's really hard to stand on a stage and talk about why somebody should vote for you and there'd be all these people out there and I would walk in and someone and I would give each other a hug or we'd exchange a glance across like the room and I just felt I just I never felt alone during the process and for me that was really critical but um, the way the podcast came about was we knocked on so many doors I mean we knocked on thousands of doors and one of the things people said to us over and over was it's so nice um, during campaign season because we get to kind of figure out, you know, you, you plug in and you figure out what's going on because all these people are coming to your door and you can ask them questions. But people were saying it was really hard for them to engage in between the two years. And everyone we knew listens to podcasts. It doesn't matter how old you are, or what your students listen, retired people listen, and they're very easy to listen to, right? Like you can go on a run, you can be in the shower, um, you can be working on your computer. People can tune into podcasts wherever. And so we just felt like it was a medium for everyone. And it was a great way for us, we thought, to engage, to digitally engage with the community and keep people up to date on what was kind of going on in kind of a fun, 
easy way, right? Like we talk about all the things that ha happened during the week, um, but we try to make it fun and yeah. interesting and engaging. Well, I've listened to some of your podcasts and I think that you did a great <laughs> job of that. It really feels like you're talking to the listener, which I really enjoyed. Um, well, you've talked a little bit about campaigning and, uh, and election seasons, but uh, after the election in 2018, I just wanted to ask, um, as women, and especially for um, Symbol as a woman of color, how did that affect your uh, engagement and um, just how did that affect your experience? Yeah, I think for me, you know, I ran because I really valued value constituent services and I value broader policy issues and I felt that uh, it, it is very important to have uh, a unique set of voices at the table. Uh, I think it's very easy to plug in to uh, go, for some people it's very easy to go to City Hall and come to a meeting at 5.30 on a Monday but, but for others, it is very hard. And I think for me, my goal has been, how do I go, go to someone? You know, I, I host office hours. We both host office hours. We do this podcast. So for me, my engagement really comes from the fact that I felt that as a city, we need to do a better job of engaging with our residents, not just during election time. We often heard, we just, people just plug out for two, two, a year and a half and then for me, uh, it is very important to make sure that we are including everyone's voice at the table and that people who normally don't uh, feel heard are heard. Um, well, uh, speaking of the um, voices, uh, basically, uh, what have you heard from your listening audiences? What's the reception to your podcast been? Um, and how does it find, how do you find that it has a, an impact? Yeah, it's funny, I was saying earlier that um, sometimes Sumble and I will be at an event together and somebody will be standing there and say, like, it's just like on your podcast, yeah. right? Like I listen to your podcast and talking to you guys is just like listening to your podcast. And it's, I think that's what people really respond to is that um, we're real people um, and we talk about movies and TV and eating food and we talk about crying a lot Yeah, <laughs> on our podcast. <laughs> Our moms. Um, we our talk moms. About we our talk moms. about our moms a lot, um, and I think it's it's a way for people to like who you know they may only see us at events or they may only see us on CCTV on Monday nights, and we not may not seem that approachable. But I think just hearing us talk, I think a lot of people feel like they're friends with us, um, and I think that that's the value of podcasts is like you can feel like you're actually in the podcast with people and they're your friends because um, you're you're listening. And, yeah, and I think people break really appreciate how we break things down. Like, what's well, a budget? Right. You know, because oftentimes we're we're learning. Too. We're learning too. <laughs> it's a huge learning curve. We're going. Into, we're thrown into this position, and we have to learn. You have. We have to learn everything essentially. Right. Uh, in so many t topics, from affordable housing to transportation to uh, tree canopy, uh, it is a huge learning curve, and so. As we're learning, we want to uh, teach it to our listeners as well. Well, it's wonderful that you are you're trying to take your listeners and your viewers and basically your constituents on this journey with you. And I think that I mean I certainly appreciate it. And I think that all your other viewers do as well. And I would say like it's one of the the best things I do all week is 
we come here and we're always like super stressed and we get here and we're like throwing our bags down and then we sit down and we put the headphones on and then we just were like oh hi yeah like we've been to a million meetings all week we haven't actually had a chance to like talk engage and talk and um it's it's really nice for us to do and it does feel like a little bit of a journaling exercise like i'm yeah. not a journaler um but i think for me it's been nice to go back to some of these podcasts and and figure out like what were that was the thing we were talking about and um i I don't know, it's, it's been kind of nice for yeah. that reason. Well, uh, I just wanted to know uh, how, like, what other, uh, I mean, you do other forms of activism, obviously, uh, um, but what has inspired a lot of um, your activism and especially your political activism? In terms of running or? Um, I mean, just, just in, I guess in general, like what um, got, what made you really get started and like mm -hmm. what made you want to run for office and just, yeah. Yeah, I think the national political landscape right now is just so horrible. Um, and especially after the 2016 election, I just felt like as a woman, um, we really needed to wake up and realize that we needed to run for political office, mm -hmm. that things weren't going to change unless we did, and we needed those voices at the table. At the time, there were two women on the Cambridge City Council out of nine. For a progressive, liberal city, I felt like that was a huge miss. Um, and the year that we ran, um, nine women actually ran for those, you know, for those nine seats. It was like the first time ever that nine women had run. And we could have had an all-female city council. It didn't <laughs> happen. Could happen next time, just saying. Um, but I think it has been really powerful to have four different women coming from very different life experiences sitting on the council and, um, and working together. Yeah, ditto. I, I think for similar reasons, I, in high school when I was, uh, what, 2002, uh, I was engaged with uh, youth advocacy and I co-founded a youth organization called Cambridge Kids not Cambridge Kids Council, the Cam what is now known as the Cambridge Youth Council. Mm -hmm. And so we got involved early on in trying to lower the voting age. And so that was my taste of early activism. And I got to go to the city, city council offices and uh, some of the counselors are still on council back when I was in high school. And, but I could sense they, they were listening, they were doing this job. And I said, wow, I want to do that one day. I don't know how I'm going to get there, but I, I want to run one day. And I think after uh, that election, I said, why wait? Mm -hmm. And when you do look at the council too, age-wise, I think we have to do a better job too. We have our median age in Cambridge is I think 30, 31. And I'm the youngest city councilor. And there's nine of us. I think you know we can do a better job of having uh, younger people on council, uh, just a, much, a council that reflects our community as well. So I think that motivated me to run because, and I think people appreciated that too. Um, well, you spoke a little bit about your uh, work w with youth empowerment. And I know that Alana, you've done um, work around uh, food security. And I was wondering what led you to work on these issues and advocate for these issues specifically? And in terms of youth empowerment, I think Sumble said it. I mean, we've got a lot of young people here in Cambridge, and a lot of our young people are not accessing some of the things that are here in Cambridge, like jobs, right? And workforce development is so critical. We have all these high-tech jobs, and then we have people that are just not having access to them. Mm -hmm. So Sumble and I really do a lot of work around workforce development and making sure that we've got the right 
we have all the right players here in Cambridge. How do we make sure that we've got these kids that are getting access to the jobs that are right here, right in their community? Um, I think for both of us, I, I definitely feel like the youth here in Cambridge are so incredibly powerful. Um, they have a unique voice and amplifying that voice I think is critical. Uh, as Sumble said, you know, the, we don't always provide the right forums for that youth voice and I think that's something that we really have been looking into, trying to figure out how do we get those youth voices to the table. Um, we have a lot of young people here, how do we really amplify them? Um, well, I, as female politicians and hosts on your podcast, um, which is very centered around the um, female experience, especially in Cambridge, uh, who are some of your role models? Uh, <laughs> my role models, I, I don't think, I don't, I have some political role models. I think my role model is my mom. Uh, I, I think I, I, I'm fortunate to be the daughter of a very strong immigrant woman who works very, very hard and who is very resilient, and, and uh, I learn a lot from that, and that keeps me going on, on the council. I think um, if I were to think about political role models, I think in Cambridge, I, I have been fortunate to, when I was in high school, I was able to work with then current, uh, then now state rep, uh, past city councilor vice mayor, Marjorie Decker, who was 25 when she was first elected to the Cambridge City Council, so the youngest person elected. And so uh, uh, she's been a very good mentor, uh, and we don't always agree, but I think having that, have, having, being able to see what's possible uh, what has been very motivating to me. You're still all my people. <laughs> I wasn't going to say your mom, I was going to say my mom. <laughs> I was like, that's my mom, right? <laughs> Both of our moms are my mentors. Um, no, I would say definitely my, my mom is a, a very, very strong voice in my life. And I often say that I couldn't do this job if she wasn't here for me. Um, she takes care of my kids a lot of nights where I am at night meetings and my husband is not around. So having her in my life and in their lives has been critical for me um, to do this work. I, I couldn't have done it without her. I couldn't do it without her. And Marjorie Decker has definitely been somebody who has been a strong uh, force and voice for me. I actually just had a 45 minute conversation with her this morning about something that I really needed to talk through um, because being elected as a female, mm -hmm anywhere is difficult and um, it presents itself w with challenges that only other female elected officials understand and navigating some of the difficulties she's been critical to to me and in, in, in providing some some pathways forward um, and just being that like that listener who's like man I know I've been there it's yeah. the worst um, but here's how I've always dealt with it and here's how I think you can deal with it um, but I think we have a lot of female, um, w you know, city councilors that have come before us, some mayors. I mean, if you think about Sondra Graham as somebody who was like a change maker here in Cambridge and somebody mm -hmm. who always fought for affordable housing and stand, mm -hmm. you know, really stood in her truth. Like we have some really amazing women who, um, who have served on the council, who, who stare at us from, you know, their portraits are on the wall. Um, and I do look around and think, okay, what would Sheila Russell think about this? 
you know, what would Alice Wolf think about this? And I think for that, it's really powerful to sit in the city council room and have so many women uh, depicted in oil portraits on the walls, which you don't often see, right? If you look into the halls of government, you walk into any city building, it's usually men. Remember when we went to MIT? Oh my gosh. So yeah, <laughs> so we'll just do this quickly. <laughs> We, so this happens all the time. You're in, a, you're in a city building and there's just men everywhere on the walls and you're like, oh, okay. So we went to go have lunch at MIT. We got invited, all the, all the city councilors, and we had it was this beautiful room. <laughs> and on the walls were all these oil paintings of these women. And we were like, oh my God, this is amazing. <laughs> so we were like, it just was like this surreal experience. Like you never, that never happens. And I, <laughs> I asked somebody, I was like, who? Are these women? Are they the presidents of the, the university? They were the president's wives. <laughs> so it was it like was, one of those moments where we were like, we're, we're like, okay, okay, right, okay. Right. We're in the corner eating, <laughs> eating our feelings, and we're eating like, our feelings. Around, and then we just ate more anyway. Uh, but the room sidebar, sidebar. Uh, but yeah, the, the the. But even so, we don't. Have, we have about five women who've been mayors in Cambridge, so we have a long way to go. Mm -hmm. uh, and we're fortunate to have other, our two other colleagues too, Councilor Simmons and Vice Mayor Devereaux. Uh, and I think it is, we've, the four of us have done a lot of things together. And we've support, really done a good job supporting one another. Yeah. I think that's the, that's the, the key. key piece for me. Right. Well, you both talked a little bit about opposition, whether it was not exactly agreeing with people or just um, some of the difficulties you, f you face as women in office. Um, and I know that this is especially prevalent um, online. There's mm. a lot of online harassment, usually if you're even just a woman, but especially I assume if you're a woman in a position of authority. Mm. Um, and uh, how do you think, like, what do you think the responsibilities of like being online are, and how do you deal with a lot of this harassment? It was particularly bad during the campaign, I would say. Like, we, we traded some messages, private messages that we had gotten that were fairly gross. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, I think that happens a lot, and uh, I think actually having Sumble there where I could be like, oh my God, like, did you see, <laughs> look at this thing, and you can kind of laugh it off. Um, but it does, it has, there has been a few times where it's, you know, it gets ugly and, um, it can feel as a woman, um, I think this is something that men probably don't understand is like, as a woman, you feel physically unsafe so many times walking down the street, walking to your car, even if it's your hometown. It, yeah. yeah. And so to feel physically unsafe online is adding this extra layer of, um, it's stressful and hard. Yeah, I, I'm i not a big, you're the Twitter queen. I call you the queen. I struggle. I didn't know that. You are a Twitter <laughs> queen. I, I see the number of followers you have. Uh, I have I have like 10 followers. Jealous. Yeah. I, because I know what's out there and I don't, I, I won't say that I'm afraid, but I also, um, I kind of want to protect myself from the harassment and what I see hap is happening to some of the the congressional women, mm -hmm. especially the Muslim women, and uh, the the hatred that's out there. Uh, I experienced a little bit of it uh, online due to some kind of uh, alleged policy order that the council w was going to put in, uh, and uh, I it was it was disturbing. And I just said, you know what, I'm not going to waste my energy 
reading it. And I think a lot of the people around me said, yeah, just delete or don't even look at it. So I think those are the tactics that we have to employ to kind of, um, because it is all noise. And I mm -hmm. think our responsibility is to not uh, re react in such a way that it is bad for our mental health. I think it's very easy to be upset about it. And it is okay to be upset, but I think then realize, you know what? I'm not gonna waste my precious time on these trolls. I got some, I well gotta said. govern, you know, I got other things <laughs> right. to do. Well said. Um, well, on the flip side of that, uh, how do you think that uh, the internet can be used to effectively mobilize people? We were talking about activism earlier, but um, how do you use it personally? And how do you think, um, what are the possibilities really? I mean, I think social media can be used for good. And I think that that's what we're, I'm actually trying to do is, is use social media to get the work of the council out, the things that I'm working on, um, and to just be really accessible for residents. So, um, you know, if I take a, a tough vote and I feel like I don't have the opportunity to explain why on the floor, I will do it on social media or I will write, you know, a medium piece or something just so that people understand exactly, maybe they don't agree with me, probably they don't agree with me, but at least I'm able to kind of fully explain myself in a way that if you're not watching uh, on Monday nights. Um, but I do think it, it, there's so much going on in Cambridge and it's really hard to filter out the noise and how to to navigate. Like you could be at 12 events tonight. We could be at, we are usually trying to be at 12 events. Um, but I, I have people that follow me on Twitter because they're like, I actually, you curate what's happening here in Cambridge. Um, and I feel like now I, when I follow you, I, I pay attention to things that I care about. So I think using social media for good, both Facebook, Instagram, um, Twitter, I do, I really love, Twitter's like my favorite medium. It's just easy, it's quick. Mm -hmm. uh, do you have any specific groups that you try to reach out to through um, any of those platforms really? I mean, I think I use the, all three of them very differently. Mm -hmm. And I, so I'm not trying to go to a specific group, but there's definitely people who are only on Instagram. And so they don't want to read a whole thing that they want to see a picture and they want a quick hit of like what's going, you know, what I'm doing. I think, you know, for a lot of people, they just want to know that you're working hard um, and you're working hard on the things that they care about. Well, yeah, I, I think for me, I do some of it. I, I have a personal Instagram. I don't have like a counselor Instagram. I think social media can be a little bit exhausting. So I do what is genuine for me and I, I try to say, okay, I'm gonna do like three tweets a week or I'll do three Facebook posts um, because I, I'm I, 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 being a millennial, I, I'm a bad millennial. You're the worst millennial. I'm <laughs> the worst millennial. But I am trying to get better at, at, at kind of showing what I'm doing. I think what I, today I had six different things that I was at. It should, I should have been tweeting and doing all that, but you I can't go to six things and tweet at all. And tweet, right. yeah, yeah. So it's, it, it takes a lot of energy, but I think people do appreciate when you do tweet or you, you tell them about the policy order that you and some others have been working on. And so we both share that, share the work that we're, we're really passionate about. We both have newsletters as well that uh, we send out weekly that also highlights and kind of uh, the stuff we're working on together separately. Uh, and you know we'll throw videos in there, we'll throw interactive ways to engage. So it, it's all good stuff and I think uh, you can do, you can very much use it for good. 
Well, I know that you talked about being a millennial, and um, well, I, I come one generation afterwards, I'm in a weird in-between, but um, I think a lot of people think of the 1960s as sort of the golden age of activism in Cambridge. Um, <laughs> a lot of people are agreeing with you right now. <laughs> Does any of the work from that time period inspire you, and if so, what? And uh, do you think that um, there's anything we can learn from it, or that even people from that time period could learn from us. Well, I'm sorry, that was a lot, but. I think I'll speak generally. I think there's the civil rights movement and, and everything that came with it. That's always very much inspiring to me. I mean, you've been, I'll let you talk about the suffrage movement and the work that we're doing there. Oh, that's very. That's way back. That's way back. But um, I think in recent times, I think I've been very inspired by the young people who are, I think, it is very hard right now with the current administration, with everything that's come under fire. And uh, this wave of youth advocacy has, uh, has been very powerful. Everything from, uh, you know, gun, pre preventing gun violence to climate change marches around the mm -hmm. country. Uh, uh, there's a lot of positive things that have been, I've been looking that to that for some inspiration. And I would say, um, for me, it's when I think about the inspiration here in Cambridge, it's not so much the 60s, but the 70s, um, because as people might know, Inman Square was the hotbed of the second wave of feminism. Um, you know, they had the first female, they had a female restaurant, a female owned restaurant. There was a, a female health center. There was a credit union. You're like in the 70s, you couldn't even get a credit card um, or sign a lease without your husband. So there were revolutionary things that were happening here in Cambridge around women right in my neighborhood. And for me, that's always something that's at core of, of how I feel about Cambridge is like, it's, for me, we've got the Schlesinger Library over at Radcliffe that does, I mean, we can talk about the suffrage movement, but there's so much happening here with women and there's so much history here. Um, I feel so empowered all the time by the women that have come before us and really have paved the way for, for us to be here. And, um, you know, it, going back to the whole suffrage movement and being inspired by young people, uh, we have an eighth grader here in Cambridge named Sophia Bernstein, her mom is here tonight, um, who was, when she was in third grade, wrote to President Obama and was like, why isn't there any women on money? Like why, and he was at a press conference, read her letter, and then it started this whole, how do we get women on the $20 bill, right? So. That, unfortunately, we're in a different administration right now. So Sophia, fortunately for us, has turned her um, attentions to celebrating the 100th year anniversary of the suffrage movement, the, um, the 19th Amendment. And she came to city council and inspired us all to say, we do need to do something here in Cambridge to, to celebrate and commemorate this momentous event. But at the same time, she was very aware and cognizant that it was somewhat of a racist movement and really took a lot of black women out of that, the 19th Amendment. And for us in Cambridge, we, yes, we need to commemorate it, but we really need to understand and have it be a teachable moment about what, how many people really got left behind mm -hmm. and the role of white women in, um, in the suffrage movement and kind of whitewashing what happened. And so I'm really excited that we have young people here in Cambridge that are so in tune and in touch with what is happening. I think it's our our job to make sure that that's nurtured, right? Because 
Sophia and a lot of her friends are going to go on to do amazing things because here in Cambridge, we, we took them seriously. Um, you, you touched briefly on this, but um, sort of, a, of about intersectionality in movements. Mm. Um, that's, I think, definitely been a key part that's been missing from a lot of the movements in the 20th century. And um, luckily, there are more voices speaking out about this. But um, how do you think that we could continue to promote this and try to prevent people from being left behind, as you said? I think we are, you always have to think about who's not at the table and who's not in the room. Uh, because often there's a lot of people not in the room. And so I, I use that lens if we are having different conversations, if we're thinking about uh, putting together a committee uh, on suffrage, right? And, mm -hmm. and making sure that we have it be as inclusive as possible. And so you have to start with what does being inclusive mean? Uh, and I, we've been talking about uh, a lot of, we were doing this series of conversation called Cambridge Digs Deep. And it's all about thinking about race and equity. And it's hard stuff, right? I think I, I, we have, a, historically, we have made strides. But when you look at um, who is in power and who heads up organizations, you know, we see it in city government. Uh, it, it's many men. It's mostly men. And it's mostly, it's mostly white, right? And so I think we have to very much be intentional about uh, about creating inclusive environments. And I think there's a lot of tools and tactics uh, that the city and we employ to, to get there. And I, so I will just say that Semel and I both have a task force right now. Hers is on tenant displacement and mine's is around the arts and supporting artists. And one of the things I did in the very beginning was had a whole task force meeting on how equity and inclusion are going to be the lens that we use in that work. And I think that that's critical in all, in any task force, in any committee, in any work that we're doing for the city to come at it with an equity and inclusion lens um, and really think about who's not at the table. Think about um, these intersections. I, one of the things I've been thinking about a lot is um, if you think about environmental justice and social justice, environmental activists and social justice activists don't always intersect, and they need to. We are in a situation right now where climate change is real, <laughs> um, but the people that it's mostly going to affect are people who are low income and of color. And if you look at the environmental activists, particularly in Cambridge, I mean, we're not, you know, it's very white. Um, and so how do we, create that intersection of environmental justice and social justice so that we're all working on this together, um, that is going to be something that I think is going to become critical, that intersection. Um, other than uh, youth empowerment and food security, uh, what other work uh, have you two focused on? I know that you mentioned your work with the arts and uh, your work with affordable housing, but I um, just wanted to hear a little bit more about that. One of the things we're working on together, actually, and really exciting, is um, ensuring that every kid in Cambridge has a college savings account. Mm. Um, you know, if you look at the data across the country, children who have a, a college savings account are much more likely to go to college and much more likely to graduate from college. And um, as a city, we can do that. Um, and we are working through the ways of trying to figure out how to make that happen. And we've been helped with. Um, this by the Federal Reserve Bank here in Boston has been very, very helpful. We've had um, people come from San Francisco where they're doing this and they've had really success. I think for 
for both of us, we come from uh, a low-income background, and uh, you know, understanding that you know college isn't just a given for a lot of people, um, and college is very, very expensive. And if you don't have that mindset, a lot of times you won't go. Um, and so I think it's been really important for us. It's been such a great project for us to work on together because we both are bringing this like life experience, um, and it's something that we're both passionate about. Yeah, it's been very fun. Um, how has, uh, I know that you've both uh, lived in Cambridge for many years now, but how do you, uh, how has living in Cambridge sort of shaped your uh, experience just in office and um, your ideas on policies and just the issues that are most important? I'm gonna let you go, because you, yeah, <laughs> I longer. <laughs> I have been here since I was two, and so I've loved the city, and the city's given me so much uh, and it is so fun when I can run into high, friends from high school, you know. I can run into to people I've grown up with. They think what's been, how it's influenced my time on council, I realize how hard it is to stay in Cambridge uh, and how hard it's become and how, you know, we're tasked as a council to our number one goal is how to create more access to affordable housing. and there's been so many people who've moved out and you know for many it's a choice my twin brother he lives in austin texas with his wife he could buy a house there he could do a lot that you can't do here uh and in the past generations could do could buy a house and so right. forth so it, for me i we have been working on a lot of i'm doing a lot of tenant displacement work and we're all working on affordable housing issues but that will that that's something in the back of my mind i've I'm fortunate that I can stay here, uh, and there's some of my friends who can stay here, uh, but I, it's it's something that affects me daily when someone comes and is getting going to get evicted or is looking for housing here and wants to come back to their community, and uh, you don't really know what to say. Right. You can say, oh, these are the options where you can get on some wait lists. These are... Uh, th this is no go to nextdoor.com or oh I think I know someone renting below market it is a struggle and it's a, such a it's a it takes a lot of time and so that's something that um, I've loved growing up here I'm very fortunate I think that the city's changed and, and change is good but I think we also have to think about uh, th this generation and and how hard it is for them to be living in the community they grew up in and I think that's been really a voice that hasn't been at the table at City Council. This, I grew, you know, I grew up here. I'm in my 30s. I would love to stay here. I can't. Um, I think, you know, I think almost all of us are homeowners on on the council, and so having Sumble's voice has has really amplified the problem in a really real way for for me, especially. Um, I didn't grow up here. I'm new Cambridge because I've only been here for 15 years, so everyone <laughs> feels like I'm brand new here. Even I've though I've lived here, 15 years. <laughs> I feel like I've lived here, you know, longer than I've lived anywhere else. Um, for me, the experience has really been raising my children here, and how different their experience living here mm -hmm. has been than mine, than growing up um, in Brockton. Um, my daughter went to a, a Boston Symphony Orchestra with her whole fifth grade class and it was like fifth graders from all over the greater Boston area and for her the biggest takeaway for her I was like how was the orchestra and she was like it, 
it was fine, whatever. Did you know that there are schools where there's only white people? Because for her, when she was watching <laughs> these kids walk in, she was like, what is happening? Um, and so for, for me, raising my children here has been such a unique and exciting experience for us. And I, it's devastating for me when I, I know that people can't stay here and they can't experience it because they're not going to get what we have here in Cambridge other places. Um, and especially for our low-income residents, we have so many services that are available here um, that, you know, if they take their Section 8 voucher and they, they, they find a place in Everett or Medford, the services don't exist there. Um, and so, yes, they can use their voucher and yes, they can have a roof over their heads, but I worry about, I mean, if you think about Cambridge, I, my kids go to the youth center for nothing. Every day after school from 2 to 6 p.m. for nothing for years. Um, that doesn't happen in Malden or Everett or Chelsea. Uh, so it's devastating for me when I'm sitting with a family and I know that they have a Section 8 voucher and they only have 20 more days to use it and they've lived here their whole life and maybe they work in the schools or they work um, here in Cambridge and they, they have to move. And so, yes, affordable housing and making housing access for these families and for these residents has been, become really critical for us and I think it's really frustrating for us on the council when we, I, sometimes I'm meeting after meeting after meeting with people who are in danger of being evicted, were evicted, are homeless, and you know that the list is thousands of people long. And we can't create any more housing right here, here right now. It's very, very difficult. And so when we have opportunities where we can create that housing, um, we, I, it's like we feel so obligated to do it. Um, and it's really frustrating when sometimes you, you run into residents or neighborhood groups that are, are opposing. It can be really, really hard because you know that your whole day tomorrow is sitting with people that, that they may not have a house. And we're slowly, you know, we are, if you think about it, if you boil it down, we're losing this diversity that everyone mm -hmm. talks about. Bottom line, I think people want to move here. Okay, we're just so diverse. And honestly, growing up, like you said, they, Growing up, two of my best friends, one's Bayesian, one is from Bahamas, like, I would go, I, wherever I went in the country, no one had the exposure to the different, um, different populations that exist in Cambridge and the different people you meet and the value and importance of that. Uh, and I think we are, we've been losing it. And every, I think I'm curious to see what the census 2020 shows. I, I think there will be some surprises that are at how our makeup has changed as the affordability crisis has increased. It's something that it, it is very difficult, but it's also something that I think keeps us going as something that we have to keep fighting for and, and ra raising awareness about as we think about the policies that, the different policies that could help, potentially help us get, get to some uh, solution. And I think for any community, just having low-income residents and high-income residents and not having anybody in the middle, that's, that's not healthy. And it's, I, I think that's not what Cambridge is about. Um, and so. it is happening. Every, it's happening Everywhere. across the country. Mm -hmm. It's just not a Cambridge problem, but I think we have the means right. uh, and the tools to, uh, to be innovative. And we've, we've done some innovative things that most cities haven't even touched and can't even touch but because of how well-resourced we are, mm -hmm. uh, we've been able to do that. 
Well, um, thank you for <laughs> your insights and opinions. And um, I think that that was a really good ending question. Um, thank you for uh, being here and for uh, speaking to us today. And um, please give a hand for our city councilors. Thank you.